sometimes I feel. I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata, buona serata, buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get a bad ditch. You don't have to get a bad ditch. Attaccare! Attaccare! Oh, yes. We're back. Well, I'm back. The Euro Show was back last week. But welcome back to the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio on a Monday evening. Nick Tabano back after a bit of a hiatus, took a bit of time off. Not really time off. I was still working, but unfortunately had other commitments last week. Wasn't able to make the return for the Euro Show. So the man to my right here, Josh Parrish, took the reins last week with Ante Jukic. Fantastic program. Great to have Ante in to fill the shoes. I think he filled it and some. Uh, But it's good to be back. Nice of you to take the Pep Guardiola sabbatical. Actually, no, a better, comp- better comparison, the Diego Castro preseason. You like to play your way into, the sh- into shape. In the new Absolutely. Year. Go camping for a bit. <laughs> Caravanning. Yes, that's it. Go out into the outback and uh, find myself with, you know, just have a bit of a sabbatical. Mm. And, uh, yeah, but to be honest, it was the furthest thing from it. It's been a very, very hectic <laughs> six weeks. And uh, we're back here Monday night. Uh, lots been happening in European football Um over the past six weeks, obviously there was a bit of time off with the Christmas break. Uh, some leagues powered through during this period. You know, Omicron's gone nuts mm-hmm. over in Europe. It's really uh, wreaked havoc on many of the leagues and especially with uh, crowd numbers. We know the Bundesliga playing behind closed doors. Serie A crowd numbers down to 5,000 only in stadiums for the next week uh, to try and curb the spread over in Europe. But this football is still going ahead. And in Serie A this morning, potentially... The best goal of straw. In the in modern history, some were calling it. It was such a fun game between Atalanta and Inter. To the point, to the point where it had the Napoli Twitter admin even <laughs> saying their congratulations and saying how great of a game it was. To translate what the Napoli Twitter admin said on uh, straight after the game, he, well, he or she said, uh, Napoli congratulates in- Atalanta and Inter for having played a beautiful match made up of honest and spectacular football. Basically saying, good stuff on the draw. It helps us out. It means we're not under the pump to lose our spot in the top four, but we're still in the title race. Good stuff, guys. I think it was the Comunicado Oficial version of, uh, I'm a Napoli fan, but that's class. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Clapping hands emoji. Basically. basically. That's some some lame stuff. From a league that has really taken on board the the newfangled approach to uh, social media admin, uh, I mean, really, Roma set the, the course for that kind of, you know, meme universe. And uh, Napoli have gone... Of, it, that looks like the owner tweeted out, one of the shareholders who had Aurelio access to the account. Yeah, it looks like uh, he thought, oh, that was a good game. I should say something on the Napoli Twitter. Well, we know one thing for sure, Josh. When a shareholder has holes of a Twitter account, it doesn't always end <laughs> up very well. Um, but in terms of the game this morning, Atalanta and Inter, massive result in terms of the permutations for the sides chasing Atalanta against the top four. We know Juventus with a win over the weekend. They're right on their heels right now. And then obviously at the top in with, you know, basically on top of the league right now and with Milan and Napoli still in the hunt, it brings them back down to earth. Inter have been flying pre and post Christmas break. Um, fun game. Plenty of good saves. Sami Handanovic winding back the clock to his uh, mid-2000s form. Uh, one Musso at the other end making a big save on Dumbrosio late. Mid-2010s. Come on. Don't do him, don't no, do him like Josh, that. Josh, he's been on a slippery slope now for a few <laughs> years. Inter fans will tell you themselves that it was incredible to see Handanovic 
to an extent, wind back the clock. But for Atalanta, it's a massive result because they had a lot of players out due to COVID protocols and they were able to push through against basically a full-strength Inter team who we know they won the Supercopa a few days prior against Juve. But still, knowing how deep Inter's squad is, it's a big result for Atalanta. There were some amazing saves in this game. It was a goalkeeping masterclass from both. I mean, Musso's save, the sort of trailing... Well, not trailing, but he was leaning back and managed to get the palm mm. on that ball. It was such a powerful strike from, I think it was Alexis Sanchez. Yeah. Uh, there were some beautiful passages of play. I think uh, I can only join Napoli in congratulating them on the honest and uh, well-spirited and beautiful match. Uh, a nil-nil draw, as the Italians would say, is in many ways the perfect game because any goal is a mistake. I guess so. I mean, yeah, <laughs> back in the old days, back in the days of Cup and Back in the dark old days of the days. 80s, yeah. Yes, but uh, we know now the Italians like to thrive on high-scoring affairs, especially for mm. some of the uh, the football hips, the favourites, such as Sassuolo. But this game in itself, when you look at the stats, you know, 1.14 XG for Atalanta to 1.52, I don't think tells the full story. There are a lot of good chances for both teams, as mentioned. Inter... Do have a game in hand on Milan who play tomorrow morning against Spezia, but it opens up the door for Milan to jump them. Napoli as well in action tomorrow morning against Bologna, so then Napoli can narrow the gap to only four points. But Milan, it's a massive opportunity because Milan has started to find a bit of form after losing a couple games pre the Christmas break. They got a win against Roma and Venezia and a win in the cup against Genoa, but a big game tomorrow against Spezia. They've found a way, Milan. They've had a lot of defenders now out with COVID and injury, Simon Kier, we know, did his ACL earlier in the season. Uh, Alessio Romagnoli and Fakaya Tamori missed with COVID. Then Tamori came back and got injured. Davide Calabria has been out as well. And a host of players out due to AFCON, such as Benesse and Kessie. The attack, on the other hand, though, they've basically hammer and tong. I don't know if you've seen Rafael Leal, how well he's been playing at the moment. His brilliant chip uh, last Friday in the Cup. But he's been the man that's been the talk of the town recently. And if anyone's going to be able to get them over the line, well, they shouldn't have a problem against Spezia tomorrow morning. But Rafael Liao is the guy to look out for. He has been brilliant this whole season. He's one of those guys that went from your proverbial whipping boy to basically being the guy and just a slight plug to the national curriculum. But we were talking about Elvis Camsoba last night about how, you know, he's gone from being the whipping boy and the guy that would miss a lot of chances and everything he'd do would be magnified because the big moments he had were chances in front of goal. Mm. Rafael Leal was a very similar sort of player at Milan for his first two seasons, squandered a lot of golden opportunities, would fade in and out of games. The things he would do would be heavy touches and squander this and squander that. Talk of selling him. But this season, my God, he has improved. That's uh, the story with a lot of young players, I suppose, once they find their feet. You know, he, he's the kind of player that frustrates you because he kind of looks lethargic on the field, like the way yeah. he moves, the way he runs, or even his, like, facial expressions. He never quite looks too fussed. He looks uh, really happy all the time. Just yeah, he's just sort of blissed out and doesn't really – like, he's just a vibes player. But when you start seeing him take on more responsibility, when other players are out of the, out of the team – and the onus is on him. That's when you start to feel encouraged by Rafael Leal's progression. So mm. uh, I'm glad to see that he's finally living up to his undoubted potential. One of those players, uh, like a Cam Sober, who flatters to, 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 to deceive at times, yeah. if I can get that out, uh, who I guess inflames the uh, passions of supporters who 
feel more frustrated by eye-catching players who let you down rather than players who yep. ghost and don't do anything on the pitch, um, but probably has more potential than any of those guys. So, yeah, Milan keeping within touching distance with this result and, as you say, can go top of the table, which really highlights the fact that Serie A is the only legitimate title mm. race in Europe's top five leagues this season. Maybe Maybe Sevilla can do something or in La Liga. Dortmund somehow can. Oh, that's not happening. That's not happening. I just don't see it. But in terms of Milan right now, you've got to give a testament to them. And again, they've weathered all these COVID and injury crises throughout this entire year. They've done brilliant to do so. But um, this game against Spezia is massive because you look at what's coming after that um, a home game against Juve, the international break, and then a derby against Inter. And that derby against Inter probably will be title defining. They've. Had these, remember last season they met in February around the same time and Inter blew Milan out of the water and that was basically the death blow to the Scudetto, to their Scudetto hopes. So when you look at this game, these are these sort of games when you're in the title race, these are the banana skin games. And Spezia have been a banana skin for some teams. Even for Milan last season, Spezia beat Milan last season, one of the few teams to beat them. And earlier this year, they almost got something from the reverse fixture at their home, at their home ground. Obviously, this being at the San Siro, I don't see Milan necessarily having too much of a problem winning this game. But I think it'll be an intriguing watch nonetheless because of Milan's defensive outs. They're scratching the bottom of the barrel defensively, but also in midfield. First three choice centre backs and centre mids are out of this game. You know, defensively without Romagnoli, Kier, and Tomori. Um, midfield without Benacer, Kessi, and Tonali suspended tomorrow. So they're really going to have to push through this game because this has all the hallmarks of potentially being a game that a Milan team from the past mm. would slip up and lose or drop two points. And Spezia would know that. They'd know that there's a golden opportunity. Milan are right for the picking in that sense. But seeing who Milan have got up top and their firepower for tomorrow morning. Uh, it presents a golden opportunity. Just another note in this game before we move on. If Zlatan Ibrahimovic scores tomorrow, he will become, I believe, the he will be the player who has scored against the most opponents in uh, the top five leagues. So at the moment, him and Cristiano Ronaldo have scored against 80 different teams. He'll go to 81 tomorrow if he scores against Spezia. It helps when you're 78 years old. And you've played in France, <laughs> England, Italy, uh, uh, Spain. Aging mercenary clocks yeah. up. Predictable milestone. Hey, it's still a cool achievement. It is. It yeah. is very cool. Uh, you know, he's he's more lion than man, as he loves yep. to say. I, I want to bring the conversation back to Atalanta because yep. you know, it wasn't too long ago that we were saying that Atalanta was sort of this crossroads and Gasparini falling out with star players, and uh, they've been able to sort of reinvent themselves and cope with many many absences and still keep in that top echelon of clubs. It seemed like the Atalanta fairy tale was over, uh, but. Far from it. They're still delivering these great performances. And I, I wonder whether a player who's left Atalanta, like maybe Piel Luigi Galina, Galini, sorry, um, maybe regrets that move because he's hasn't he's played, played a Premier no. League game yet. He's only been mm. the cup goalkeeper at Tottenham. And they're playing in big matches now. They could potentially not win the title, but play spoiler in this title race because they've still got to play Juventus and Lazio. That game on the uh, the second last round of the season, mm, 15th I know game of May you're talking about. <laughs> against Milan, shapes as a really exciting one because yeah. that could potentially determine where the title ends up, which is is a kind of cool position for Atalanta to be in mm. uh, when you thought they were past their peak as a as a unit. There's a something special about the Atalanta Milan fixtures. Yeah, something very symbolic about these games because. 
Not only are they geographically close, Bergamo is a small province just outside Milan, so they're geographical rivals in that sense. And when Atalanta weren't what they are, they were always kind of spicy in the terraces, especially when yeah. Milan would go to Bergamo. You knew that it was going to be, you know, a tough crowd. It's a hostile. Now just it's random explosions going off in yeah, the crowd. And you know when there's random explosions <laughs> in Serie A, it's a good game. Um, Atalanta, though, just before we go back to the symbolism of that game, they have this tendency to start season slow and then hit their strides now. Like they find that it's like they're slow starters. There's always talk about Gus Brunetti falling out and then something just changes. It's like, I don't know if they go on some internal retiro that we don't know about and they just all get on the same page. Just sicko mode activated. Basically, Atalanta yeah. Going to turbo it, gear. It's And they always find a way to hit form. I am not ruling Atalanta out of making a bit of a late push. You really? Know, right now, Atalanta being out of Champions League, I know they've got Europa League against Lipiakos, but I wouldn't rule them out entirely. I think that they're just too dangerous. They're going to get players back, and they've got players hitting form. Uh, Mario Pasalic starting today, playing closer to goal, was a great move. I know he had to, and he should be playing there every single game, but they played him out of necessity more than I don't think that he would have started if Ilicic was there. But they're playing some good football, and they're getting guys back. You know, getting Remo Freuler back, um, you know, having now a full-strength defense is a big thing as well, getting Mary Dimarell and Palomino on the pitch together. I think this is going to be an interesting time now because if Atalanta can string together some results, Lazio haven't been playing some good football. They've been so streaky this year. We don't even know what to expect from them. But then after that, it really opens up. You know, Juve, tough game. But the games against teams like, um, you know, Fiorentina, Sampdoria, Roma as well, I think they should have an, have an issue with. But then it really, towards that period before they play Milan, there's a string of games that they really should be winning against Venezia, Salernitana and Spezia. And that matchup against Milan, we talk about symbolism. You've uh, I've, you've heard me and Ante speak about the famous 5-0 in Bergamo, which was the changing moment in Milan's history. Their last meeting in Bergamo, not, sorry, not this season, last season, the final game of last year, was to decide if Milan were going to make the Champions League or not. And Milan won 2-0 in Bergamo to get there. Atalanta, you know, had to rely on results then to go their way, and they still snuck in. Whenever these two teams play, there's high stakes. There's a different feeling to it. And I think that game, I'm not too sure Inter who'll be playing at that time, but wouldn't it be great if, you know, Napoli's sort of close by, if Atalanta's closed the gap, and we've got a bit of a four-horse race by that time. You know, I'm not ruling it out. I, I think there's a chance, if it's not four-horse, that Atalanta could definitely be right in the mix. Inter's last four fixtures of the season, Udinese, Empoli, Calgary, Sampdoria. That's pretty yeah, soft. Yeah, that um, that's worrying. That's worrying for the title contenders. It is. But you look at Inter's next few games, this period that's coming up in uh, January, February, this is going to be the real test of Inter's yep. metal. Um, you know, after playing Empoli and Venezia, they've got Milan, uh, Napoli the following week, Liverpool in the Champions League, Sassuolo, Genoa, and Salernitana. Liverpool again at Anfield. But then after that, there's a host of tricky games. Mm. Torino away, Fiorentina, Juve, Hellas Verona. They still have to then play Roma, I know Roma's Roma, but there's still enough quality. So what you're saying to me is... Now is going to be it. This is where it's going to be the time. If Inter get through this period, I think they'll win the Scudetto. So we could get the situation where Inter actually drop off in this heavy period of games and they end up being the the chasers, trying to close down and and shrink that potentially Milan title lead. One thing we've got to remember from the difference to last season, Inter were not playing in Champions League or Europa yep. League at this point. They bombed out. They did exactly what Milan have done right now. Um, I know it's not something that's planned, but in this point of the season, when you're focusing on the league, arguably the better thing is to do is to bomb out. Like, And for Milan, 
they're out of the four teams, the only team that's not playing in Europe at this point in the season. Uh, the Re- Napoli and Atalanta are playing in the Europa League. Juve are still in the Champions League. I know they're still technically hanging around. They're like an annoying pest. They're just still there somehow. But this is going to be a really, really intriguing watch over the next two months. And that Milan Inter game after the international break is going to be massive. Like, I really hope that by that stage, the COVID situation in Italy improves a little bit so they can get more than 5,000 people into the yeah. Sun City or at least 50% at least have 40,000 people in there. You want to have a pumping crowd. The worst part about the Derby's last season when it was tight, they'll play in empty stadiums. And 5,000 inside an 80,000-seat stadium, you may as well be playing with no one there. So this is going to be a fun period. And Milan, on the other hand, it opens up for them after that Juve and Inter period. It's going to get a bit easier for them in terms of those games. So I can't wait to see how this all transpires. But, Josh, before we get to a break, we touched on Juve. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about a certain player from Juve a little bit later on. We get into our segment of potential free agents. But they are hanging around. And I hate to say it, they're still there somehow. It's like, you know, the, the Jesse Pinkman uh, meme. You know, they can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> but they are winning. They're not playing well, but they're still finding a way to get results. A 2-0 win on the weekend. You know, Weston McKenney scored. He likes his ranch sauce, Weston McKenney. But they found a way to get the result. And yes... We ruled them out, but they're not gone yet. It's Death Star 2.0, you know. We blew up the first one, but now they're back bigger than ever. They're hanging around like a bad smell, which is fitting considering the celebration favoured by their uh, their best player. Yeah. Um, it, he's a little uh, discombobulated at the moment. He doesn't he doesn't quite agree with the club hierarchy and how the contract negotiations have gone. He's got an expiring deal at the end of this season, so the clock is ticking for Juve to either cash in on Paulo Dybala or lose him for free mm. in the summer. And he scored a lovely goal and made a very pointed celebration right in the direction of Pavel Nedved in the stands. He was covering his face, yeah. he, which seemed a cowardly move. You just, you just got to sit there stoically and, and not just react. You know yeah. the TV cameras are going to cut to you. I mean, that, that didn't send a good message to me. And, you know, Juve, despite the fact that they keep winning and, you know, they keep getting these consistent results and staying within touching distance of the, the top four, I, I do wonder whether the internal politics at Juventus when, will end up costing them. Potentially. And, I mean, for how long now have Juve been trying to force Paulo Dybala at the door? It's felt like he's been an unwanted child for so many seasons. And Dybala has constantly come out and refuted saying, I want to be here. He is the ugly stepchild of Juventus. But he's the, he's the ugly one, but he's the one that is arguably the most important they should he's be, their best player. They should be presenting him with the glass slipper and saying Absolutely. you are the one. Like It's crazy to me that Juve wouldn't lock up their best player for years to come. And they, they keep kind of negging him by giving him runs in the first team and then benching him for key games. It's been, I think, an unhealthy, toxic relationship mm. between Juventus and Paolo Dybala for years now. I've got to ask you the question, Josh. If Dybala end, leaves Juve at the end of this season, have Juve wasted the potential of Paulo Dybala? Oh, absolutely. Mm. I mean, you, Juve, the uh, question hanging over them and the, I guess, reason for the club's spending and ambition mm. is to win a Champions League. Yeah. You know, Scudetto's, uh, well, Scudetti, I should say. Uh, they monopolized that. Yeah, they monopolized <laughs> that for years and did it bring them happiness? Yeah. Did, it, did it bring them fulfillment as a as a club? I don't know that it did. You know, you can celebrate every year with the trophy, but when it was a mere formality that Juve were going to win 
the title every yeah. single season, you know, it didn't mean as much. It wasn't fun. Like, you know, the it fun certainly wasn't fun for everybody else to watch either. No. Uh, now that Serie A is competitive again, uh, I guess maybe the Scudetto means more um, yeah. for Juventus to win it back. But well, it's like the, the Champions League, they never won it. They never won it. And if Dybala leaves without them winning a Champions League, you have to say that this generational talent they had in their midst has been wasted. They had Ronaldo at the club as well. The two players there at the same time. I know they didn't necessarily fit together how they might do in uh, you know fantasy football, but that's got to be a slap in the face for Juventus. Yeah, and the thing that you've got to remember as well is that it's a situation you mentioned about a Scudetto. It's like you only miss it once you're gone. Like you, the heart yeah. grows fond. The absence makes the heart grow fonder. And after they won nine in a row, it was like last season, like, geez, this is what it's like to lose the league, like not win it. Like mm. this is weird. And for Juve, they sold their soul to Cristiano Ronaldo. They did. Like it's it's pure facts. They broke up the best partnership in strike partnership in Serie A that got them within a whisker of winning the champ. I know they got spanked in the final by Madrid, but they were in that game for a lot more than what maybe the scoreline suggests. But that front line was working. Dybala, Gonzalo Higuain, Mario Mandzukic as well. I know he was getting a bit older, but it was a functional team yep. that was working under Max Allegri. And then they decided, all right, Ronaldo's available. And I know that I, I watched the Prime documentary and I see how Andrea Agnelli said, if Cristiano Ronaldo's available, you'd be dumb not to go after him if he wants to come. Yeah, sure. But was it really what they needed at that time? No, it wasn't. They had the players. They forced Higuain out the door. Higuain was not the same player after Ronaldo came in. We saw he went to Milan. He went to Chelsea. He came back. You know, he. we can joke about, you know, the situation with his weight and everything like that, but... They sucked the life out of the club with, with by doing that. Dybala became disenfranchised. He became he was benched. Mm. He was he was the guy. If you remember, heading into that 2018 World Cup, he was the guy. Like you know, if I was thinking mm. Dybala and Messi playing in the same team. Oh my god, what could Argentina do with these two? It's just such a shame to see how it's ended up. He's 28, which it's remarkable to think he's now 28 because I still think he still looks 23. Um, this guy, wherever he ends up, I just hope that there is just a situation where it's going to be good for him and he's going to be able to play and they're going to be able to use him to the best of his ability. Where that might be, though, we'll talk about it a bit later, that's going to be the tough part. Yeah. Because who's going to be able to pay that money? I, I still kind of think he's going to sign again. This is the problem with Dybala for me. Is He's got all the ability in the world, but he's always gone back to the sort of safety net of being at Juve again and again and signing contract extensions and staying when and not pushing for that move to a different league or a different club where maybe more burden of expectation would be upon him because Juve have never really made him the guy. But is this the straw that breaks the camel's back? Maybe. Maybe, because I know maybe they, it's different this time. I know that they want Gianluca Scamacca and they're going to have to offload one of Dybala and Morata to facilitate that. Like, it just won't work, you know, bringing Scamacca in, who they're planning to literally be their guy for the future, um, if you're going to have Dybala and Morata because he's not going to play. For me... I like. I really like Alvaro Morata. I like the Morata Dybala part- partnership, but I don't see how Scamaca and Morata work together. But I see how Dybala and Scamaca can work together. That for me is a very, very tantalizing. This is the problem prospect. with Juventus, is but they're they always, they're that. always, they're always looking for the next thing and the next signing. They never, they never appreciate what they have. And mm. you know, the, the they broke up the Higuain Dybala partnership. Yeah. Now they might break up the Morata Dybala partnership and make the same mistake twice. And they've Where, tried, which is really just other areas yeah. of the team that need improvement. The front, the front third is, is fine. fine. It's yeah. great. 
They've still More got, than fine. They've still got, you know, another player that's completely forgotten in this whole puzzle, Moise Keane. They sold him, and he was clearly the future of the club. They sold him to Everton. He was wasted for a season at Everton. He found form at PSG. They bring him back, and he's not playing. You know, they decide, like, they completely neglect their midfield. Their best midfielder, they want to ship to bloody Burnley or Newcastle, which it's ridiculous to even think about. Well, they say most creative midfield. I think Locatelli is their best midfielder, but their defense is in disarray. God knows what's going on with Matty Delith right now, if whether he wants to be there. Um, their fullback situation, my God, Alexandro, the last few weeks, the last few months, it's been this slippery slope of him just mistake after mistake after mistake. They're still relying on Mattia Di Silvio, for God's sake. That is not a backline that's going to win you a win you a scudetto. When you see what Milan have got defensively, their back four is sensational. Look at Inter's well, back when three. Fit. <laughs> when fit, of course. But you look at those defenses and even Napoli's, and that is a good backline. Juve's, it's like just plugging place, places and seeing if it all fits. Juan Cuadrado is still their number one right back, and he's not a natural right back. This he's is, had a good season. This is still. the other thing that gets me about Juventus. It seems to be different standards and different rules for different players. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Rabio and Alexandro can fail upwards as many times as they like and let down well. the team in big matches. Um, Bernadeschi is another good example of a, of a favorite son who never seems to get the boot when he needs to leave. And, you know, they uh, look at Dybala, who consistently produces when he's played in the right position and the creative is the creative fulcrum in the team. And... Still, they're not convinced by him. Oh, maybe we could get someone better. Maybe we could, you know, bring in Skamaka instead or uh, bench him in the Champions League in knockout stages. Yeah. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't know uh, why the club is run in this fashion, why they're always got their eye Ooh. cast elsewhere. Uh, I guess the club's plan was to already be in a Super League by now, you know. So maybe the Serie yeah. A and the Champions League is beneath them now. But and to be honest, they've probably still got plans for it. Mm. Let's be real; I don't think Andrea Agnelli's been that idea along with Fontana no. Perez and Co. But that's well, a he, story. he got the Champions League free reforms that he was looking for out of yeah. the whole thing. So maybe it was a success after all. Well, but Juve, you know, their squad is still good enough for them to be in contention, even despite making all of these strategic errors over yeah. the years. Well, looking at just other Serie A games this weekend, Roma 1-0 against Cagliari, and no, Christian Volpato did not play. So thank that was good to see Twitter nice and quiet this morning. Yep. Uh, but as I mentioned, go listen to TNC. I had a little bit to say about that one. But he might play on Friday against Lecce in the Coppa Italia. Um, the other ones as well, Hellas Verona Sassuolo, 4-2 Hellas Verona. Of course, this was going to be an absolute cracker. Barak with a hat-trick. He's one guy to keep an eye on in this offseason as a player to potentially make the move, the Czech Attacking midfielder, eight goals, four assists this season. He's been sensational, uh, along with Giovanni Simeone, a lot of players, and even Caprari is the other one. Those three players, I tell you what, they will feature heavily at the end of the year in transfer talks with a lot of big clubs. So keep an eye on that. Um, And Skamaka did score as well this morning, continues his great form. Lazio 3-0 over Salernitana, Torino 2-1 over Sampdoria. Sampdoria sacking Roberto D'Aversa and bringing back Marco Giampaolo. And I can't believe, seeing that, I genuinely, like putting it bluntly, I pissed myself seeing that because I don't know how he's still hanging around. He's just, he's like the Italian Alan Pardew, but just hasn't done what Alan Pardew's done if, you want to call Alan Pardew making the F- FA Cup final and getting Newcastle to Europa League and is doing something. a lovely little dance. Yeah, basically. But Giampaolo, there's there's this famous gif of him when he was at his when he's Milan introductory press conference where he's doing the sign of the cross and everyone was just this whole thread of 
you know, the same gif under um, Di Marzio's tweet this morning. Um, but also tomorrow morning, as mentioned, Milan Spezia, Bologna, Napoli and Fiorentina, Genoa. Genoa sacking Andrei Shevchenko mm. on the weekend after only nine games. I did not like that one little bit. Did, did you uh, look at the article about Fiorentina's owner in Drogo Comiso? Yeah, I sure in did. The Financial Times. That was funny. If you haven't, go read it. Drogo Comiso is an interesting character. He's a he's a real life Sopranos character. Genuinely, he's a, he's a nouveau riche uh, Italian American who's come back to buy uh, a club because you know he got his education through a football scholarship or something, and he's Italian, so he loves football. Um, and he's just wondering why the fans haven't automatically heralded him as a hero and saviour just because he spent money. He's raging against the, the Florence City Council for not yeah. a- allowing him to rip down historic buildings and, you know, uh, excavate Roman ruins. He's like, <laughs> we got walls in America too, you know. Uh, it, it's hilarious stuff. It he's- really is amazing to see... Uh, like how rich people think and how entitled they are when it comes to thinking their money is going to automatically talk and do the talking for them. It's, it's so funny. And after you read the article, just go on YouTube and watch his press conferences. They are even more hilarious. Just seeing him in action is unbelievable. I would love a Rocco Comiso character down here for the presses. That would be great. I mean, well, we, we had-, had one. It was called Clive Palmer. Oh, true. He's yeah, the Clive yeah, Palmer yeah. of Italian that, football. That, that is true. Um, we just had a correction from our wonderful producer, Pakul Frimpong, that... Yes, nine Serie A games Andrei Shevchenko uh, coached and two cup games in the final one being mm. against his beloved Milan. They full gave him a plaque and everything on Friday and then he was gone a few days later. Maybe he'll go back into Ukrainian um, politics. To be honest, maybe or maybe Milan will snap him up as an assistant. I'd love to see him come and dual, dual threat under Stefano Pioli. I reckon it'd be great. Just uh, just pulling the heartstrings. Keep your bit. comments coming through on the Twitch, by the way. Vaktri says Agnelli is the problem at Juventus. Well, he's not yes, going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. That's one thing. <laughs> That's, That's the problem. Yeah. It's you know you can't you you can sack a board, but you can't sack, sack the owners. Yeah, uh, we'll take a short break here on the Euro Show. When we come back. We'll dive into what we t- we sort of tease a little bit in the Twitter promo, a little bit about some of the big names coming out of contract at the end of the season. Having a look ahead at who may make the move, some big names in that free transfer. Who may agree to a move now and join in June? Through the, through the Bosman rule, some of the players who might also join in the January transfer window. But we might also take a look at who's going to replace Rafa Benitez. Is it going to be Ange Postacoglu, <laughs> as one person suggested on Twitter? Find out a little bit later here on the Euro Show on FNR Football Nation Radio. Sometimes I feel... I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> You don't have to get about it, did you? You don't have to get about it, you? Attaccare! Attaccare! Welcome back to the Euro Show on FNR Football Nation Radio. We're halfway through here on a Monday night. It's been a fun show so far. Talking a little bit about the, uh, the greatest league in the world, Serie A, uh, as always. But uh, we're going to dive into a little bit of the Bosman chat in just a second. Josh, quick message from our... Our sponsors. Yes, our new partners here at FNR, the Global Institute of Sport. We're going to be talking about transfers in a moment. The January transfer window is open. Players available at the end of their contracts in free agency coming in June. There's a number of notable names. And, you know, there's more business going on in the game and more money flowing through the game of football than ever before. Worldwide transfer spend per annum exceeds a billion dollars. 
It is a very rapidly growing area. We saw with the Riley McGree deal, uh, Aussie clubs are finally starting to get a, a slice of that. And uh, if you want to be part of this this world, this world of football business, there's really no better place to go to get your education than the Global Institute of Sport who have experts from around the world delivering these courses. Uh, it's all online, uh, in uh, taught in classrooms that are in uh, East Asian and Australian friendly time slots now. And once the COVID situation settles down, they're going to have touch points throughout the year uh, at what will become their future campus, the MCG. Uh, so guest speaker events, networking events from their global network of people in the sports industry. Uh, so their Masters of Football Business course starts next month. So get on it. Go to gis.sport.fnr to find out more. That's GIS dot sport slash FNR. This is a, a global organization that has headquarters and, and, and hubs across England and the United States, uh, some beautiful stadiums serving as their campuses. So it's a, it's a really cool, uh, cool new initiative to be involved in to, uh, to get a global education specifically designed for the business of football. And talk about Bosman, just having a look at your screen, Josh, I saw some of the banners scrolling across the top. Is that a Toronto FC Banner that it went across indeed. the top. And we know about Bosman transfers. Arguably the biggest so far has been Lorenzo Insigne heading over to Toronto. To Toronto, as the locals yes, call it. Yes, he's going to go hang out with Drake and uh, <laughs> and Sebastian Giovinco. In the six? Or, no. Yeah, in the six. I won't go, embarrass myself any further. He's gonna go, he's, <laughs> well, show your age there, Josh. Um, <laughs> he's going to be go hanging out with, with uh, Pascal Siakam and Drake over in Toronto. But... Talking about that, there potentially is another one who may be joining in, which we'll get to in some of our big names who are coming out of contract at the end of this season. We are in the silly season right now, but these names, these players can start negotiating for next year and the clubs who own them are powerless to do anything about it. So they can agree to a deal and move at the end of the season. Um, Obviously, they can move now, but that would obviously be for Mm -hmm. a transfer fee. Um, but there are some massive names. It's arguably one of the biggest Bosman lists as we've ever seen. We're not saying Bosman, we're saying Bosman. Um, so the biggest name of them all, as El Chiringuito, have made this a bit of a campaign about finally getting him over to Spain. He's killing Mbappe. Tic Tac, is, is it inevitable that he'll be wearing uh, a Real Madrid jersey come next season? Well, I think if uh, you're a fan of the science of belief and the power of manifesting, then uh, El Chiringuito have been manifesting this hard Tic-tac, tic-tac. It's uh, going to happen. I, I don't yeah. think there's any other club that can pull this deal off. Mm. You know, maybe Manchester City. But honestly, I think Mbappe does have a bit of a romantic association with Real Madrid. Apparently, he yeah. supported them growing up. He also supported Paris, of course, as, as a, you know, as a, a, para- as a Parisian yeah. kid. And he's yeah. already played for PSG. Uh, but he wants a new challenge. I think the way he's treated playing in France as this... Um, kind of they pin all their national hopes and expectations on him. And when he doesn't deliver, such as his missed penalty at, mm. at the Euros, it goes very poorly for him. So I think living outside of that kind of French bubble will do him wonders. Yes, he's going to get a lot of interest and uh, a lot of coverage and a lot of paparazzi at Real Madrid. But I think going abroad is probably the best thing for Kylian Mbappe's career at this point because the situation at PSG has turned a little bit sour, a little bit toxic, you know, he keeps coming out and doing interviews where uh, he tries to 
you know, correct all of the bad press that he gets and all the fake stories written mm. about him. And I don't know. I, I think he, he needs to get somewhere else. He needs to go somewhere else away from away from PSG, away from Neymar away and from his uh, the... sort of bad big brother influence. I, yeah. I, I think I think Real Madrid is the right move for him at this stage of his career to be the new star in Madrid to inherit mm. the Karen Benzema's number nine jersey. And, yeah, I think it's going to happen. You know, Real Madrid have money. They aren't in as healthy a financial situation as they once were, being able to splash, you know, massive transfer fees and break transfer records every year. But they've got the money to sign him on big wages on a free Barcelona do not have no. that kind of money anymore. They can't even register players because they're brushing up against La Liga's salary yeah. cap. Uh, so the only other team that would have the cash to sign him is probably Manchester City or, or Chelsea. But I can't see that happening. I just don't see it happening. I think he's going to Real Madrid. I think so too. I think it is inevitable. It is an inevitability uh, to put it bluntly. And we saw an eleventh hour bid from a certain. I would say he tried not to be a Tottenham representative, but Tom Holland saw him on the red carpet before Spider-Man and said, would you come and play for Spurs? And Kylian Mbappe just laughed at him. So we know that he's only got his eyes on one team, and that is going to play for Real Madrid next season. Maybe he'll shock us all and stay at PSG, but I doubt it very highly. I can't see that happening. Um, But we've seen stranger things happen in football. One in particular, which... You know, I think we all thought if you asked us a couple of years ago, would he still be at Manchester United or not, is Paul Pogba. And we said, I think he'd be gone by around this stage. He's out of contract at the end of the year. But Manchester United are willing to, I don't know if they're willing, but there's going to be big money on the table for him to stick around. Josh, you had the figure before. £500,000 a week is allegedly what Paul Pogba has been offered to stay at Manchester United. That would make anyone's knees buckle at that sort of price. And I wonder if Paul Pogba is going to be swayed to potentially stay at Manchester United and be under yet another project under another manager. I wonder whether PSG might consider reinvesting the funds that uh, will be freed up by Mbappe leaving the club and going to PSG and investing in Paul Pogba instead. I know they play different positions, but... They do need. They do probably need someone else in midfield. Verratti is a bit of a lone hand, and he's always injured. Yeah. And Wijnaldum's very, very rarely played. And the Herrera is just, you know, Pogba in Paris. Yeah. Pogba in Paris would be it fun. It makes sense. And if it's not PSG, I can't see him going back to Juve, even though he's always teased a return. I just don't see it happening. They they would definitely take him back, and I think it's a move that makes sense because Juve desperately needs some midfield. But help. they can't offer five hundred. But they're not going to do it. No. So I think it's Manchester United or PSG. I, I I just shake my head at United for this because what has Paul Pogba done in his time in the club to show that he deserves to be That's made one money. of the best paid players in world football? Nothing. 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 It's a totally dysfunctional way to run a club. Yes, I know he has great. Um, social media metrics and but that's all he they sells. Now, he sells Josh. sponsorships. He looks great in you know, Adidas advertisements. But when it comes to actually delivering on the field, Pogba is more trouble than he's worth, and his agent is also more trouble than Pogba is worth. Well, I think as Louis Van Gaal said, they run more like a corporation than they are a football club. And Manchester United sees someone that has the high social media metrics, as they bragged. Edward's gone. Edward is gone. But is our thing is going to change? Because arguably his successor is just as bad. His successor was the guy that was fawning over the fact that Odi Nigalo had that Manchester United trending on Twitter when he signed, and they were the number one trend, and he was bragging about that fact. 
That's what concerns me. Is something going to change unless they bring someone in externally, unless Ralph Ragnick takes up more responsibility? But if Ralph Ragnick is taking responsibility, there's one thing about Ralph Ragnick. If he gets in charge of your football department, it's Ralph Ragnick's way or the highway. You're all in or you're not in at all. And I don't think – I honestly don't know if Paul Pogba fits the Ralph Ragnick style that they're going to be looking at. No, I don't think he's the kind of player to do 100 repeated sprints no. a game or whatever it is. You know, look, uh, honestly, the, one of the main problems with Pogba has just been his availability and his injury history. Yeah. You know, he continually gets these problems, these ankle issues or these soft tissue injuries that keep him out for longer than mm. they should. And – I'm sorry, like if you can't be available to play every week, then you're not worth investing that kind of cash in. Mm. So it's if United re-sign him on that that sort of money, even if they re-sign him at all, I think it's a bad move. I think they just need to move on from Paul Pogba. It's time because for he's, a, he's one of these players. He's like uh, Indombele at Tottenham. Yeah. Everything has to be effing perfect for him to give, deliver his best performances. Mm. And those players are more trouble than they're worth. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to player three. We spoke about him a lot before, and that was Paulo Dybala. Um, for me, uh, I know Tottenham want him. I don't know if I could see it happening if he goes to Tottenham, only because I don't know if he fits the Antonio Conte style of a hard-working, you know, especially if they're playing a 4-2-3-1. I don't see it happening. If he was playing in a 3-5-2 with Harry Kane up top, I can only think of the possibilities and actually just it's like, like that is an unbelievable front two. But it's almost like they're too similar, that they both might just be both dropping too deep and then Son sort of becomes neglected in that sort of section if Harry Kane sticks around at all. But for me, I am very unsure about where Paulo Dybala ends up next because it doesn't feel like there's a team that is crying out for Dybala that actually can afford his wages. I I think we're going to end up with this anti-climax again with Dybala and he's going to stay at Juventus. I I just think he's going to extend. The only other team that I can see him thriving at, and I think Tottenham probably aren't a successful enough and a big enough team for his mm. where his ambition should be at. Maybe with Conte and Pratici there, there's a, there's a draw, but I don't know. The only other team that I think could work for Dybala is Chelsea. Yeah. Depends what happens with, with Lukaku. Lukaku. It depends yeah. what happens. I don't know if that They could definitely happen. coexist in the same team. but Surely, but th- there's some issues with Lukaku there and there's a lot of players competing for those attacking midfield hey, spots. L- Lukaku is basically saying, get me the hell out of here. I want to go home. I want to go back to Milan. Like, he's dying to get back to Inter. Like, he's doing everything yeah, he but, can. You know, but, that chair is filled now yeah. by uh, an ageing, albeit, but Edin Dzeko is but playing brilliantly. That also then depends. This is going way down the rabbit hole, but if Lataro Martinez even sticks around yes. next year as well. Yes. If Lataro Martinez of... does leave, because Juve do not have a saying where Dybala goes in Italy. He can go anywhere, and I don't think Dybala is like an Insignia situation where he feels a sense of, I can't go to a rival. I feel like mm. there might be a sense of Dybala where he wants to put the middle finger up and might turn around and say, you know what, Stuffy, I'm going to go to a rival. If Inter came out with the cash, and I know Inter are very cash-strapped, he would be a great fit alongside Edin Dzeko at Inter. Yeah. Okay. I think that would be a fun mix. The other team, I'd love to see it happen. I know it won't happen, but I'd love to see him at Milan. Yeah. I would love to see it happen. That's, I just don't see it happening. That's the... You should take a drink every time Nick Dibano says, I'd love to see him at Milan. But but to be honest, though, Dybala at Milan would be a great signing because Milan need another striker. Yeah. Because but... Zlatan's not getting any younger. Giroud is... Giroud, like he's, you can't rely on him to be your number one guy. 
And we don't know what's going to happen with Brahim. Can they pay him, though? That's the issue. They can't. But with Brahim Diaz being on loan, we don't know if he's going to stick around long term. Dybala playing as a 10 or playing up top or working out how you fit them all in, it might not be the worst move. Again, wages is an issue. We know Maldini likes to bring the wages, the wage budget down as much as possible. I don't think it would be the worst move for Dybala to end up at Milan. Whether it happens or not, I doubt it. But I'd like to see. It wouldn't be the first time that Milan has, has poached one of Juve's stars. You know, Bonucci going there didn't end up yeah. like they wanted it to. Yeah, different time. <laughs> I, look, I, I think Milan should be going for a different profile of play. I don't think yeah. it makes sense to spend big on Dybala when well, you're dealing, dealing with the kind of limited resources. Talking, but Dybala, it, it sort of puzzles me. I think the yeah. most likely scenario is we see a contract extension eventually. Talking about two Milan players that are out of contract since you mentioned them, Francesi and Alessio Romagnoli are two big names who are mm. going to feature heavily in the next few months. Francesi especially. Um, it's been He's a roller coaster ride with Kessi. Start of the season, he mm. said, I want to stay at Milan. I'm do whatever it can. I'm not going anywhere. To then weeks later, him coming out with ridiculous wage demands, much more than what Milan were willing to offer him. Already, it would have been a substantial rise on what he's currently earning. Um, and wages that do not, nowhere near what a player like of Kessie's ilk should be asking for. No disrespect to from Kessie, but it's just facts. Milan are in a position where they probably can't afford to lose Kessie. It's mm. not like how last season losing Donnarumma, it left them having to go scamper and buy Mike Magnon, mind you, great signing. Losing, yes, losing Hakan Chalonoglu, they didn't really have a, a 10 at the time that could fill the gap. Raheem Diaz has been, a, while he was playing pretty well, the COVID situation has stuffed him around a bit. But with Sandro Tonali hitting the form that he has hit, and Ismail Benacer, we know he's against similar situation with COVID. It's been hard on him. They're, they're, not, they're in a situation where they can't afford to let Kessie go. For nothing. They're one of the teams that can go, okay, it's all right. And just in terms of squad building, it's probably not smart to have two of your most important midfielders both have to go to AFCON every couple of years. Also, the other thing is they've got two kids on loan, Tommaso Pobega and Yassin Adelie, two young midfielders who can walk straight back into this squad. Tommaso Pobega arguably is one of the best midfielders in Serie A this season. Yassin Adelie's been playing very well. So Kessie's Kessie's demands are too high. Kessie for me. Where's he going? Tottenham. He fits. He fits the Antonio Conte mold of just a hardworking. I, I think he secures sticks. the bag and he goes to Newcastle. In the, well, that's if Newcastle stay up. Yeah, that's one thing we've got to remember as well. Whether Newcastle would, stay would up, would Milan take a transfer fee for him this month? If Newcastle, you know offered. what? If they did, I genuinely think they should. If an offer came through for something in the twenty or thirty mil range, I think they wouldn't get more than thirty because he's out of contract. But say it was like $25 million for Kessie and Newcastle said, we'll pay him up front now. We need him to stay up. Milan would be dumb not to. And if I was Milan then, that's when you're recalling Yassin Adli. I know that they don't want to recall Pobega because Pobega's playing in Serie A. They don't, you know, this is the whole thing about not wanting to ruin relationships with other Serie A teams. Um, I think that you bring back Adli or you look at looking at signing someone else in a loan deal you know, play more of just Tonali and Benesser for the rest of the season. I know depth is a bit thin there, but I think you do it. I said this months ago. I said that if the offer came through, Milan should not hesitate at turning around saying, if we're going to lose you for nothing, we've learnt now that with Donnarumma and Chalonoglu, we probably should have sold you in January last season. Let's just do it. Let's get it over and done with. Not have to worry about losing him for nothing at the end of the year. We can redistribute that money somewhere else in the squad. Could it cost you a Scudetto though, if you do that? 
Uh, no, because I think Tonali and Benesse is a much better functioning midfield partnership. I guess without Europe, maybe you don't need the rotation. Okay, yep. well, let's go to Antonio Rudiger, though. Yes. Because yes. he should be a bigger story than he is right now. I haven't seen enough coverage of Rudiger's contract expiry. He needs to be picked up. He needs to be paid. Chelsea need to pay him. If yeah. Chelsea lose in two seasons, they, and, and they've also got Andreas Christensen out of contract too, they are in a situation where they could lose well, Fakaya Tomori last season, who has been brilliant again at Milan, Andreas Christensen and Antonio Rudiger for basically the sum between the three of them of £25 million, which is nothing. Antonio Rudiger is their defence. Andreas Christensen has been very good as well. I think the system is the defence, but Antonio Rudiger yes, has, has been, been the outstanding. The linchpin of the back three, though. Where does he rank among the best centre-backs in the world right now? Top because five. I think he's top two. Above Koulibaly? If we're counting Van Dijk as number one. Am I going to be annoy Liverpool fans if I say Rudiger is a, a better player than Virgil van Dijk? So you're saying that Kalina Koulibaly is the best centre-back in the world? No, I'm I'm saying Rudiger might be. I, I Look, it's he's it's, up there. It's tough. Like, Koulibaly has these kind of lapses in concentration mm. that, like, you give me the heebie-jeebies. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and I also think, you know, if he had more ambition, he would try and leave Napoli, you know. Yes, you think you you wonder if you haven't seen him in a in a Champions League semi final, then do you really can you really say he's the best player in the world, the like best defender in the world rather? Uh, Van Dijk obviously he he peaked when when Liverpool won the Champions League and then won the the Premier League title, but I don't think he's quite been the same player since he did his knee mm. in that Jordan Pickford challenge and since yeah. he came back. I don't think he's quite been up to his athletic prime. He's still yeah. a beautiful distributor of the ball. Don't get me wrong. So. So I think Rudiger, as a pure defender, yep. as a as a defender who can mark a player, can intercept a pass, can win a challenge, can win a header, is the best pure defender in the world. Maybe on the ball, Van Dyke and Koulibaly surpass him. Yep. But you know if, he's out of contract, and I think there is one clear destination for Antonio Rudiger, and that is Bayern Munich. Pakula's telling us Ben White. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ben White would be top twenty. <sighs> He's been very small, good. Small sample size. Um, if Rudiger leaves Chelsea, where to? Yeah, I think Bayern Munich. I think I think that's mm. the that's the one obvious destination. As yeah. I said, like you know, there there are other teams that should be in for him. Like all of Europe should be in yeah. for him. Yeah. He should be you know fielding offers from around the continent now. But I don't know if he's rated as highly as he should be reputation wise. I think the German connection will bring him back home. Honestly, I, I agree. I think Bayern Munich always pull out all the stops for the German national team players. There's a good environment for them there. Obviously, you know, moving back to Germany would be, uh, I think, a draw card for, for Rudiger. Mm. And, you know, the the Bayern Munich team that he'd be joining, uh, would it not be for COVID yeah. outbreaks and so forth, should be a real legitimate contender to win the Champions League. So yeah. I don't think it's a step down. Maybe, do you want to stay in the Premier League instead of the Bundesliga? Maybe. Yeah. But for the German players, that doesn't seem to be such a, a big draw card. So I, I think yeah. I, I think Bayern Munich will end up signing him unless Chelsea pay him the money that he is worth. Josh, let's pick one more each and then we'll get to a break before we wrap up. Um I'm going to say the one player I'm going to keep an eye on, especially over the next few months, is Andrea Bellotti. For the sake that this guy has been on everyone's radar for about six years and he never left Torino, but now he's finally out of contract. Umberto Cairo wanted like $100 million for him in 2016 when 
Milan and Juve and Inter, and everyone came sniffing for him. Premier League sides, everyone wanted a piece of Belotti. The big rumour, though, is that he may head to the six. He may go and join Insigne and Jovinko in MLS. Come on. There is a strong rumour that he's linking him there, and it's literally come down to it's going to be Milan or Toronto. Now, Toronto are prepared to pay a lot more than Milan are going to pay because if he goes to Milan, he will probably play. I think he'll be their starting striker, but he's not going to be earning more than Zlatan. And Zlatan's still earning ridiculous coin for his age. If he goes to Toronto, they're going to pay him probably very, probably similar money to what Insigne is going to be earning next season. Mm. I am curious to see how it plays out over the next couple months. I want to see him at Milan because I've always wanted Belotti at Milan. And Milan need a striker badly. Um, but if he goes to Toronto, that's another... The, the flow and effect of Belotti and Insigne playing in MLS is not just, you know, it, 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 there's a big effect when it comes to the national team. Mm. Because in the past, it has been frowned upon for Italian players to go and play in the MLS or go and play in China. It's actually hindered or, or their Or the Middle East, even. So players like uh, Jovinko back in 2016, Antonio Conte refused to pick him if he was playing for Toronto. He didn't pick him for the Euros. Um, Graziano Pelle, Graziano Pelle, uh, Stefan El Sharawi, uh, those players all fell out of favour because of their moves overseas. Italy with Insigne is a different one because Insigne is still Italy's best attacker, and he's still you want to get him out there if Italy are going to make the World Cup, and you know if they get to the World Cup, you need to have Insigne out there. But Bellotti, with the rising form of Scamacca. With Immobile, despite his struggles for the national team being a nailed-on selection every single time, I don't think Belotti is going to make find it that easy to get back into the national team if the likes of Scamacca, Raspadori, and if Moise King, I think Moise King just gets ahead of him on that merit of playing in the big league. Well, if it is as you say, and those are the two clubs contending for his signature, I think he will wait to see how it goes for Insigne with uh, international well, selection. He, well, Can, I think because Insigne obviously is going in June. He yeah. doesn't really have the time to see. Insigne is going to get picked for those games against yeah, Macedonia okay. and probably against Portugal. So but what, that's, that's I, a tough what, one. Are there, there, there's uh, international windows after his contract expires there. Um, in June? Yeah. Yes, actually. Yeah, yeah, actually. He so could, I'm I mean, wondering that, that whether he window, will yeah. be a bit of a holdout but, for a, while, a little while in the offseason, just waiting to see if Insigne's move costs him. But the June window are probably going to be friendlies. So Insigne, that, that might not be the best barometer because Insigne no. might not get selected just because it's the end of the season. They might just pick a bunch of you know players that just want to see. Ma- maybe know. this conversation can be had behind closed doors. Maybe he yeah. can get an indication from mm. uh, from Italy, from the Azzurri setup, whether... He needs he w- to talk to Mancini about this. Yeah, Mancini has to be clear in the communication because if he says, oh, it's fine, you can go, you know, if you play well, I'll still pick you, and then he decides not to pick them, then... You know, you could end up with some uh, some regret. Yeah, um, Josh, you got one that you want to have a look at? Yeah, before we go to a break, because we've got to talk about Ange before we go. Yeah. A little, uh, little segment at the end there, a little bonus Australian uh, corner. But Usmane Dembele is the yes, I want to talk yes. about. Yes, yes. Because Barcelona have the salary cap situation. Mm. You know, they, they don't have a lot of money to work with. They just signed Ferran Torres, which was this kind of surprising signing for, you know, all of their crying poor in the, in the summer. Mm-hmm. They've gone to Samuel Mtiti and extended his contract so that they can pay him the same amount of money owing over multiple years. They've used the stretch provision on Samuel Mtiti. 
If yeah, you're an NBA fan, yeah, you'll understand yes, that one. Yes. So, you know, the situation is slightly desperate for mm. Barcelona. But Dembele, who was such an expensive signing for them, 120 million euros, mm. something that there were performance related bonuses, so it's kind of hard to keep track of. But they spent big, uh, they spent a huge chunk of the Neymar money on him yeah. to sign him from Borussia Dortmund, where he looked like he was going to be one of the best players in the world. Didn't live up to that potential until. He's in a contract year. Yeah, contract year. Isn't, isn't that classic from yeah. these kinds of players? He, he wants his team option, man. He wants that team option. <laughs> he wants the, He wants his bag. And, you know, it, it's a difficult position position for Barcelona to be in. I, I, I do sympathize because on the one hand, it's ridiculous. Why would you reward this guy who's underperformed for years mm. and apparently stays up, you know, until the early hours of the morning playing video games and ruining his back when he's, yeah. <laughs> you know, his posture's bad. Like there, there are certain like commitment and, and, and disciplinary issues that have plagued Dembele's mm. time at Barcelona. But then again, he is a genuinely two-footed player. Like he doesn't have a preferred foot. That is an incredible attacking yeah. weapon. His recent form suggests that when things go through him, things happen on the pitch. Which And they don't have those sorts of flair players. Mm. You know, they've got a lot of ball players in midfield, a lot of sort of midfield metronomes coming through the, mm. the youth team. But aside from Pedri, the, there aren't too many X-factor players in the Barcelona yeah. first team. And they won't necessarily be able to afford to go out and sign someone for a big transfer fee in the summer to replace him. Yeah. So they almost have to extend his contract. Yeah. But it's still it it, it, ham- it's still leaves push- them it leaves them hamstrung if they have to find the, the space the cash, to yeah. do so. So it's it's really where, interesting. Where do you want to see him play next season? Just quickly, because we've got to we've got to make this. I, move. I think I think Barcelona is uh, the extension is the most logical outcome. Yeah. But I could easily see him going to, you know, I don't know how many teams would be in for him. That's the thing. I wonder what the I wonder what the market for Usman Dembele is. I don't mm. actually know. Newcastle, maybe, maybe Newcastle, <laughs> maybe, maybe Newcastle. Newcastle is going to outspend is Barcelona Newcastle for this just one. the cop out. Like you know, yeah, it's just maybe. okay. No one else wants you. Now you're going to Newcastle. Well, a team with money, yeah. that doesn't quite know how to spend it. That's the yeah. kind of team that would spend big on Usman Dembele. Josh, let's actually just go right through with this because we have to wrap up yep, in okay. just a second. Let's just let's just finish on a high. Um, we got asked this question on Twitter a little bit earlier uh, in wake of Rafa Benitez being sacked by Everton this morning. Everton down in 16th in the Premier League. They've been on a slippery slope for quite some time. Agent Rafa, um, as some may know, he's sold Lucas Digne. He's, uh, he's calling up... Um, well, I'm trying to think of the Liverpool CEO. Is uh, it's just calling Stevie G and saying, yeah. "Hey, we've ruined Everton. How good is this?" It's calling some weird FSG circle. and saying, "Mission complete." Yes. So Rafa now heads off to the Canary Islands with a nice <laughs> bag of cash. Um, so now the question's been asked: Who replaces Rafa Benitez? And someone asked us on Twitter a little bit earlier. Uh, have we got the Twitter handle? Yes, yes I do. Um, so. Is Ange a contender? This may sound crazy, says Nick underscore Olala. Oh uh, but what about Ange Postacoglu from Celtic to Everton? Look, not this season no. because he just literally is just started to stake his fork in the ground in Cel- like finally got them on side and he's doing some great stuff, stuff at Celtic. Um, I think people in Australia who are seeing all of the coverage of Ange, because we give Ange and Celtic wall-to-wall coverage in our yeah. football media for good reason, because yeah, it is sure, a big story, sure. yeah, yeah. Uh, ignoring the fact that English football is incredibly insular and Celtic barely rate a mention mm. unless something tr- like massive happens. Massive has happened in Scotland. It barely rates a mention in the English football 
you know, diaspora. Yeah, the uh, I, I guess the the hive mind. Yeah, you know, it's well, it's crazy to me that um, that I haven't heard one segment on like one of the big talk sport or something. Yeah, you know, sort of yeah. big English uh, football podcasts and radio shows. I've not seen one segment about how well Ange Postacoglu is yeah. doing. The only coverage we saw was from the sort of gammons who were complaining about him getting the job in the first place because yeah. they didn't know who he was and they couldn't pronounce his name. So he hasn't broken through in the consciousness yet. And until he wins a title with Celtic, he won't. Yeah. So this has come way too early for Ange to make that kind of move. Uh, I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit because he's still at a club. They're very famous, of course. They, they've got lots of supporters, lots of very dedicated supporters <laughs> uh, who you know descend in, in droves online whenever yeah. Celtic is mentioned. Uh, but they're still a team that financially are being outcompeted by Middlesbrough. For yes, signings. and that is something else. Josh, I was going to say, you telling people to pump the brakes just reminds me of a certain chat we had on a certain podcast yesterday <laughs> about a certain someone else. And, yeah, uh, I think we have, a, yes, we have we a, a habit of over, overreacting. You know, and also, I don't think Ange would just up and leave after half a no, season. No, no. Even if he was offered, even if the opportunity was so good, I think he's too principled to say, I'm done yeah. after half a season, after not completing the the mission he set out to complete. Put it, put I, it like this. He's going to stay for two or three years at Yeah, Andrew isn't going to say, okay, with that, I'm done. Um, he's going to get, he's going to see it through. For me, and this is something that maybe in a couple of seasons, if this opportunity did come up, but we have seen Everton's track record with managers and how they are not gun shy in, you know, moving someone along when things, maybe even when things are working well for them, that they like to go after the shiny toy. Um, so unlike certain blue tick journalists yeah. at A-League Women's Games, Ange is not going to leave at halftime? No, he's not going to leave at halftime. Um, and put it like this, the side that Ange puts out in the field is not going to have any issues against the under-16 side. Uh, but look, in terms of like what was being said about yesterday, we're not going to go down that rabbit <laughs> hole because if that just on, gives if me on a soccer Twitter yesterday, you'll know yeah. what we're talking about. Um, we're not going to elaborate. And, and look, Ange is, Ange is not going to... Ange is has blown the bloody doors off at Celtic in a certain uh, reference to his namesake from that aforementioned Twitter user yesterday. Um, the thing is, I think in a couple of years' time, it'd be good to see Ange make the move to a team around that ilk in the Premier League, mm. but needs to go to a club that has some stability in terms of ma- how they deal with their managers. A team like Leicester, I think, would be a great move for Ange. Yeah. Coglu. A team like Brighton, I think, who have some brilliant ideas about where that team's go- where that club's going, I think, would fit brilliantly. I mean, Stevie G shown the pathway really. And if you do well yeah. in Scotland, you can get a move to it's a club that elk. And yes, you know he's living off his name to a certain extent. But. I would like to see Ange in even like La Liga or Serie A as well. I reckon that would even be a good step for him too. Going yeah. to a team like imagine Ange at say Real Betis or at you know in Serie A, say a team. I don't know what he meant. Rocco Comiso. I was about to say Fiorentina, but I don't know how that would go down. But like say a Hellas Verona or Lazio, even <laughs> Hellas Verona with the Greek connection. Yes, That'd be like fun. I, I think that there is a, a stepping stone. But there was some that was saying, "What about Manchester United?" No, come on, just please no, because if you thought. The as we were saying Think off there, you thought about what was happening preseason with Ange going to Celtic and like who is this guy? Imagine it at Manchester United; it would be amplified by a million. And and, and Manchester United. We're not just, saying he's not a good enough manager for that kind of no, job, but, but he doesn't have the name recognition he for clubs to be man, able to clubs in the Champions League or like you know clubs as massive as those to be able to sell that to their supporters. Unless he has 
proven track record of success. Unless he somehow, you know, wins the Europa League with Celtic or yeah. something, that's not going to happen. So. Remember, there's one thing, Josh, NRI. It's a powerful tool. A Manchester United love. I, I hope Ange does end up in the Premier League because we don't have any rooting interests in the Premier League anymore. No, we don't. And really, our only hope right now is if Raleigh McGree gets promoted. <laughs> it's Middlesbrough and it's promoted. good for Australian football if we have Australians in the Premier League because that's the only bloody league that gets any mainstream media coverage in this country. So... I hope he does end up in the Premier in the Premier League eventually, but it's not going to happen for another few years, yeah. at least, at least. Absolutely, and look, I think as you said, pump the brakes. Like we just need to calm her a little bit. We'll just we need take to a few a few deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, and <laughs> do about a few fair few people within the Australian football fraternity about pumping the brakes. Yeah. Anyways, guys, uh, it's time for us to say goodbye here on a Monday evening here on the Euro Show. Back tomorrow, Oz Football Hour. Josh, we've got yes. a new host. Yes, Jason Goldsmith is going to be joining our ranks. He is a published author. He's also appeared on If You Know Your History. Yep. Um, so he's got a breadth of Australian football knowledge. We're really excited to welcome him to the fold. And we're also going to be chatting on Radio Dub to new Matilda Briley Henry, who recently got her first cap for the national team. So that's really exciting. That's coming up at 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. tomorrow. But until then, it's goodbye for now. And make sure you head on over to our new partners, Global Institute of Sport, uh, football business degrees they're offering. Your campus is the MCG, gis.sport slash FNI to find out more. Sometimes I feel, I don't know, I don't know. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get a vegetable. You don't have to get a vegetable. Attaccare! Attaccare!